Okay, so here we go. Logistically, let me just take care of some administrative duties about what this is all about. The screen sheet in your bulletin. This is the outline for the sermon. There's a lot of things that are going on today in the sermon. For those that that like to be visual, you can write this down, put it on. There's no PowerPoint. That's cool. It's all right. Just have to listen intently, write down your notes. And on the back of this sheet, there's 14 verses that just give you a glimpse of what God's faithfulness is about. And I see just a glimpse because there's a lot more verses than just 14. But study those during the week and just lean on his faithfulness. Try to understand a little bit better in terms of what all that means, what his faithfulness means, what it means to be God, that God is faithful, that we are to have faith in his faithfulness. So that's for your reference. Before we get going, I want to pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to represent you, bringing forth your truth and your word. Lord, I ask for a couple things this morning. One, that it would be spirit-led, that it would not be of myself. It would be you working through me. And Holy Spirit, use the words to challenge and convict those hearts out there that are in need. We know that every single one of us has come in this morning with a need. And we want to lift that up to you and lean and trust in your faithfulness that you will take care of it in your timing. We want to be assured of that when we walk out today. And Lord, I just pray that people would see Christ as our living Savior today, as the faithful one who has come to save us and to give us new life and freedom and to give us a new identity in life. May these words be used for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, don't you wish you had a life map that, that gave you every turn and direction of where you should go and what you should do in your life? Wouldn't it be convenient to have that map and pull it out and say, hey, I'm supposed to be here, I'm supposed to be there, God wants me here, there. Should I buy this house? Should I live here? Should I be in this relationship? Should I pursue marriage? Should I quit my job? Should I find a new job? Should I continue in this ministry? You know, those questions are endless. And I know that each one of us have, have asked ourselves those questions a lot. And they vary in different forms. And often these questions come during a crisis, some sort of circumstance that happens in your life where you stand back and go, wow, this is a major interruption in my life. Well, I will call it God's interruption, where he comes in and presses the pause button in your life, where he breaks up the continual flow of your life. You know what I'm talking about. It's a God thing. He does it all the time. He wants us to stop and look and listen to what's going on. Don't you wish you could talk to somebody who would give you the right directions and the right choices to make in life? We know in the Old Testament that King Saul went to the wrong place to seek advice. You know that story. It's found in 1 Samuel 28. 
He went to a dark place. He went to a medium. The Bible tells us that going to the dark side to find answers for your future is not the right place to go. We can throw in psychics. We can throw in your horoscopes. We can throw in astrology. God wants us to turn to him and seek his faithfulness for our future. How often have we anguished while we're waiting on the Lord for his answer? In James 1.4, God tells us that trials and tribulations, temptations, suffering, build us up as believers. It builds our character. Is God really personally involved in every decision that I make? Is he? I'm going to challenge you to read Proverbs 16, 9, that says, with all the plans that you make, big, small, skinny, fat plans for your life, it's God who determines your steps. He knows your heart. He knows your motives. He knows your intentions. And as a believer, he can and he does influence your decisions. So while your life is being interrupted, you're asking yourself, what does God want me to do? You've asked yourself that question numerous times. And life can be unsettling. Let me provide some spiritual coaching for you this morning. We are to walk by faith and not by sight. And in your bulletin here, it says notes on faith wins. You can write in that faith works when we trust, trust in his faithfulness. Faith wins when we trust in God's faithfulness. When we trust in God's faithfulness, it's a winner. God's faithfulness beats the toughest obstacles. It lifts us from the deepest valleys. It calms the most treacherous sea. It quenches the hottest fire. It silences the evil forces of the spiritual world. And it provides comfort to those who are suffering. And it rebuilds the brokenness of your lives. Piece by piece, and God will make something beautiful out of that brokenness. God's faithfulness. Faith wins when we trust in his faithfulness. Our faith in his faithfulness is not meant to be convenient or cozy. Faith doesn't come into a, a prepackaged book, a Faith for Dummies book. It just doesn't. Faith's object, our faith as Christian believers, is God, Jesus Christ. And waiting on his faithfulness is a good thing. He is our rock. He is our secure foundation. And nothing, nothing is going to get in the way of God in his timing, no matter how long it takes. So when God interrupts your life, be prepared. He will take you on a different path 
you may be going into a new direction in your life. Faith does not throw in the towel when life gets rough. Faith does not quit. Faith does not fear. 1 Corinthians 9 says we are to win by running in faith. In Hebrews 12, it says that we are to run with endurance in faith. The race that is set before us, dropping all the encumbrances and the stuff that you know we just kind of hang on to that drag us down. The encumbrances that drag us down, the verse says. And we are to run with endurance the race, seeking the finish line, which is Jesus Christ. In Hebrews eleven thirty four, it says, Faith makes the weak strong. Now, how encouraging is that? The sermon I'm going to be sharing with you today is going to be different. It's not expository. Sorry, I'll apologize now. I know you guys like expository sermons. It's not. It's actually a testimony of God's faithfulness in my life. God's faithfulness in our family's life. It's about walking in faith when things were a bit unclear. It's about faithfulness of God to take the broken things and make something beautiful. It's about walking in uncertainty. This is a story that left a permanent mark in my life. One where God's hand was at work showing his faithfulness. His faithfulness is a promise. His faithfulness is his character. His faithfulness is his divine nature. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says great is his faithfulness. In the Old Testament, God's faithfulness often refers to God's plans and purposes for man. Our Yahweh, our God, is constantly portrayed as a God who has absolute integrity. He's true to his word. And he's thoroughly dependable. And we see this perspective seen in the New Testament as well. My story starts in 1995. I was sitting with a business associate in a car in Portland, Oregon, when I got the call from my company. It was an executive at World Savings and Loan. And the offer was on the table for me to take on a new job and move my whole family to a new place, to a new land. Where was it? New Jersey. Gary, you're going to love this story. <laughs> new Jersey? Now, hold, uh, hold on a second. I'm a California guy, born, raised, schooled. Laura and I had moved seven times in California with this company, New Jersey sounded like Africa to me. So what? I don't even know what the state looks like. I don't even know where it's located. It's, it's, the East Coast just seemed mysterious to me. And so this would be a change with my family. I'd have to, we'd have to find new friends, find a new church. You know, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but that can be fairly disruptive when you're, when you're, when you're going... 90 miles per hour, you're enjoying life, and you get the pause button from God saying, hey, I'm going to change things up a little bit. Now, 
Gary, please don't take this wrong, but I asked friends about New Jersey before I went out there. You know what they said? They said the weather's horrible. Everything looks like Newark, New Jersey. People drive crazy. They smoke a lot. People drive on the parkways and they park on the driveways. You figure that one out. And there's no Mexican restaurants. And people will think you from California are just a bunch of fruit and nuts. So New Jersey, well, I couldn't help think of Saul before he became Paul. And here's a guy that you would read about in Acts 9, just doing his normal, horrible life job, going out and arresting Christians. That was what he was commissioned to do. He was one of the top Pharisees. He was commissioned to go get the Christians in Damascus, bring them back. And so on his little ride to Damascus, God interrupts his normal work schedule and says, hey, I'm, I'm scaling up your eyes. I'm blinding you for three days to go sit in a room and think about what you've done in your life. His whole perspective about God changed in those three days. God said, you're going to be my chosen instrument. God had a better plan when he interrupted his life. So God's interruptions have good purposes. And there's seven principles that are on that sheet. And the first principle that surfaces out of this is that when God interrupts our life, we would gain a fresh godly perspective. God's going to take us out of the normal into the abnormal. He's going to take us out of the natural and put us into the supernatural. It's all about his ways, not ours. A fresh perspective about what God wants us to do when he interrupts our lives. It's for a very, very good reason. So, <clears throat> calling Laura, coming back home and praying about this decision, we really wanted to honor God in this decision. I have always believed that my mission work is the business world. That's where God calls me to be a minister. So I'll go and serve wherever you want me to go, Lord, except New Jersey. <laughs> we prayed about it. I sought the, the, seat, the, the counsel from godly men, and I wanted to honor God in, in, in whatever decision was going to be made, and I, I wanted to keep our family together. That was extremely important for us. God revealed me, to me Joshua 1, verses 5 through 9, that said, hey, be strong and courageous. Take God's hand and enter the new land. Didn't have to be an Old Testament land. As far as I was concerned, 3,000 miles from California to New Jersey was a new land. God will not fail us. Laura and I kept on telling each other and praying through this that God will not fail us. And the decision was centered around honoring the Lord and serving him wherever he would send us and to be used by him 
in this work. But believe it or not, it wasn't to make more money. And it wasn't to achieve a higher status, even though those were nice byproducts. And even though I sometimes get confused about putting those all in the right priority. But I'm reminded about the the prayer of Solomon in 1 Kings 3. You know the story. Solomon is about to take the throne of his father, David. And what does Solomon pray for? Does he pray that, God, give me the most incredible, powerful kingdom with chariots and horses and whatever. I want to be a powerful king. Nope, didn't say that. Did he say, I want to be the richest king. People will come and bow down to me because I've got all sorts of riches behind me. No, Solomon didn't say that. What he asked for God was an understanding heart that I would be able to judge rightly, fairly, equitably the people that I rule. God said, granted, I will give you a discerning heart. The second principle that that surfaces is that when God interrupts our lives, he is teaching us his most excellent spiritual truths. These are truths for living an obedient and serving life for him. That these are eternal truths that would last forever. That he would teach us something while he's interrupting our lives. Faith works when we trust in God's faithfulness. Rachel and Christine, they were in. They wanted to go. It probably had to do with the fact that I promised them a trip to Disney World. Laura says yes. I said yes, and off we went. I was given a week to find a home with a certain rental allowance. And if you have been through this this whole scenario about buying or selling or renting a home, it can be very stressful. In fact, I've seen surveys. It's right up there with like death and divorce and stuff like losing your job. It can be very stressful. And having been in the loan business for many, many years, I've seen it in people's lives. We were out there a week, and we could not find a house. Just couldn't find anything. We were looking in neighborhoods that we just didn't want to live in with our family. The last Sunday before we left, we went to a church, Huntington Christian Church, and the pastor... And the people were extremely friendly to us. And I'll never forget Pastor Jim Snyder coming up to us, knowing that we were in need. He said, you know, if you want us to do your laundry, we'll do it. And for some reason, we looked at each other, we heard the sermon, we heard Jim preach a message of joy. And he says, don't let circumstances rob you of your joy. Pain is inevitable. Misery is optional. And joy is available. Laura and I look at ourselves and say, this is the church that we're going to go to. This is it. We don't have a home, but we've got a church. That's cool. The seven times that we've moved, 
We always found a home first and then, then became attached to a church. But this is the first time ever that we found our church and then we're supposed to find a home. We're going home a bit discouraged. God is teaching us patience. Did not find a house. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, Search my heart, O God, and know my anxious thoughts. Wow. God, here they are. I don't, we don't have a home to live in. Got a church. That's cool. Great. We love this place. But when, when God interrupts your life, he's searching you. He wants to know everything about you at this moment in time. You want to search his heart and you want to find out the things that please him. Searching, pausing, what's going on? And for those who are here today as believers, if God is interrupting your life at this moment, think about possible sin issues that might be getting in the way of you communing with the Lord. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's greed. Whatever it might be, those are the big three. If there's sin issues getting in your way, confess those so you can hear God's voice as to where you should go, what you should do. Well, we went home. I went into my boss's office the next day. He gave me another week to go out by myself and actually up the rental allowance. I still knew that it probably wasn't enough. But that's okay. I'm just going to go. God revealed me the scripture, Psalm 37, 3 that says, trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. It's a great verse. I claim that verse for our move. Cultivate faithfulness, its real meaning is feed on God's faithfulness. With all the evil stuff going on around us, whatever circumstances that you're in, you read the psalm, the psalmist says, hey, there's... there's things that are contrary to you, Lord, going on in my life. God says, dwell in my land and feed on my faithfulness. Feed, be nourished with his character, trust in his promises, and we will never go hungry spiritually. Cultivating faith is like a farmer who's out there in the field, turning over the hardened soil turn it over and over for a healthy crop. And so God does with the faith that we have in him. And here I was cultivating my faith, feeding on God's faithfulness in this new land. I had unclear direction, and God was about to take me on a detour to a place like I have never been. I had two plans. One, find a realtor, help me find a rental, and I'm gonna look on my own. Waiting patiently, waiting patiently. I flew back out, feeding on his faithfulness. And that's the fourth principle, that God interrupts our lives so that we would feed on his faithfulness. Reminding myself that faith works Faith works when we feed 
and we trust in his faithfulness. Well, the first day that I was back there, I went to this one neighborhood in, a, in an area called Flemington, New Jersey. Perfect colonial. Perfect colonial. I'm, I just had this image. If I'm going to live on the East Coast, I'm going to live in a house that looks like the East Coast. Walked through it, made an offer. Felt pretty good about that house. On my way home, I looked at this other home that with the appraiser in me, I looked at the house, and Mike, you'd probably agree with me. It was adjoining three streets, and in, those, in, in that area, there were no fences. That's very typical. There was a very busy traffic street behind us, and you could hear the train. I'm thinking, I, sorry, there's just too much going on with that house. I, I don't want it. I passed it up. Not to mention, downstairs in the basement had a radon detector. What in the world? It's like, I don't want to be breathing radon. I don't even know what radon is, but it sounds dangerous to me. The very next day, I wake up, and I'm reading the four rent ads in the newspaper. And I ran across an ad for a house that was about 40 minutes away virtually in the middle of nowhere. It was, you look on a map and it's just a, a very, just a very big, big area with not a lot of houses, very rural. And the person who picked up the, the line when I called insisted that I come out and take a look. And I don't know how many times I asked him what the rent was on the place. He wouldn't give it to me. He insisted that no rent be quoted. I'm thinking, man, <laughs> I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to do this. Like, I got a place to fight for my... And then it, it hit me, I'm thinking, oh, maybe, just maybe, we'll have this cool rural house out in the country and we'll grow grape nuts and raise miniature donkeys. I just had this, like, and I don't know, it just, it, I just thought, okay, that would be kind of cool. I thought, no, no. <laughs> That would not be cool. But he was insistent. His name was Ed Salvato. And as much as the house didn't seem like a fit, he pleaded for me to come out and look. So I thought, okay, I'm going. I'm going to go and call my wife and said, you won't believe this, I'm just going out to this house. This guy was very insistent that I come out. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and Romans 4, um, Matthew 14, 29. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Jesus says to Peter, Come and step out of the boat. Have faith in me. Take courage and do not be afraid. Isn't it interesting how comfortable we get in our lives? And we just don't take the step of faith because it's just too odd, too awkward, too difficult. Too much time. We don't and comfortable and being busy. We just don't do that. I went. The fifth principle being when God interrupts our lives, he wants us to step out of our safe place and depend on him. So I had a great prayer, prayer partner, which was my wife on the West Coast. I'm in the East Coast, 3,000 miles away. 
and I headed out. And I drove out. <laughs> it was in the middle of nowhere. I reached the driveway. It was a very long dirt driveway. It was full of snow. And his, his construction company truck must have been on the side. It was a big, big dumpster. It had its construction company name. And I'm getting out of the car, right? My first experience with like snow in New Jersey. I'm thinking, what in the world am I doing? But there was just something that said, just, just go. Up the driveway I went, and here approaches this older, stocky, gruff, bow-legged man wearing this, this wool cap. We introduced each other. This was Ed Salvato, Mr. Salvato. And when I got to the top, I looked around and I could not believe my eyes. There was every conceivable piece of junk that you could ever imagine on this guy's property. <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. It was scattered all over the yard. Big things, small things, machine, you name it, was all over the place. And I'm thinking, my wife is not going to like this. It's not going to like this. He was very friendly. He apologized on how the place looked. When I got inside of the house, if you could take that yard and compress it into how many rooms were in that house, it was unbelievable. Every single type of trinket, ceramic, glass. I'm talking about Hoarder Wars meets Alice in Wonderland. It was crazy, just absolutely crazy. And I'm looking, I'm just, I'm just like totally blown away as to what this place was. I, I can't even come close to describing it. Seriously, I was just like totally blown away. And for a minute in time, we get to the top of the stairs and I'm looking out the slider and there's this deck overlooking this beautiful lake. Just for a moment of time, I thought, oh, wouldn't it be cool if me and the family were out there on the deck enjoying the view? But that only lasted for a couple seconds. And I started looking around the house. Then he proceeds to tell me that he built this house by his own two hands. He pulled out these photo albums showing me how he constructed this house out of an old barn. He was very prideful in terms of what he did. As I sat there at the table, I'm looking around, and I'm suddenly noticing some crazy, strange artwork. Stuff that he, someone, put together. I'm assuming maybe it was him or somebody else in the home. Strange pieces of trinkets just piled on each other. And he would come, he would get up, get up from the table and show me, hey, I, hey Bob, I, I made this. Like, what do you think? Gee, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And this was scattered throughout the whole house. Every single room had this crazy, weirded out artwork. I've never seen anything. We went into the kitchen and there were these giant meat hooks holding on these, these pots and pans and in, in, in the dining room, 
there was a wet bar he made out of wine barrels. And I'm, I'm going to the back porch and I'm seeing this gigantuous painting of this Native American person. I don't know who it was. And as I'm just like going from room to room, just totally just blown away out of this stuff that I'm seeing, I could hear him down the hallway saying, Bob, Bob, you've got to come and see this. Are you listening to me? Come on, come on, take, take a look at this. I'm beginning to think that he's sharing with me his, his life, his like memories of, of his house for some reason. I'm starting to enjoy the ride. And it dawned on me that either I was in the movie The, the Day the Earth Stood Still, or it just like, it's like, like suddenly something just stopped. Just stopped. So I'm, I'm, I'm going down the hallway, and there's these, all this sort of stuff on the wall. And I noticed a poem that was written and a commendation letter to a person by the name of Jimmy. And I said, Mr. Silvato, he said, he called me Eddie. Who's Jimmy? And he remorsefully responded. He said, Jimmy was my son who took his life five years earlier. He was crying like a baby, sobbing like a baby. I'm in this house, this strange house in a strange land. Sorry, Gary. 73-year-old stranger, he's crying like a baby about his son, Jimmy. He proceeded to sit down with me and tell me all about Jimmy. He took me to the dining room table told me that he was a gifted playwright. He was extremely creative. And then he just poured out his life to me. He was a Marine Corps veteran who served in World War II. He told me that he was trained to kill with his hands. And how he prayed to God when he was on that Red Cross ship, when a kamikaze pilot plowed into the side and God spared his life. He prayed, didn't lose hope. He fought hard when he come, came down with pleurisy and pneumonia. Very patriotic fellow, emptying his soul to me. He told me that his daughter had to give up a child to an irresponsible father. And he said, Bob, I built this home with my two hands. It was for Jimmy and his daughter. And she won't come out to this place because it's too far out in the country. He said, Bob, the most three important things in life are faith, family, and love. We proceeded to go down to the garage, 850 square feet of you, you got it. 
every piece of machinery you could ever imagine, antiques, junk, dust, dirt. And I realized that I just stood there and said, I, God, I am here for a reason. It's as, if, it's as if he was giving the last rites to this stuff. And he says, you know, Bob, it doesn't matter whether I rent this place or not. We continue to talk and realize it's way past lunch. We go over to a restaurant in Clinton, New Jersey, to a pizza place, and we talk for another one and a half hours. And for this time, I completely forgot about renting a house. I was so drawn into this man's story and his life and his faith. I just, I was not thinking about renting a place. He went on to tell me that three hardcore robbers actually kidnapped him. And he explained to me that God can be tricky. Not in a deceptive way, but in a mysterious way. And then it hit me. Sort of that moment of spiritual clarity, spiritual significance. Everything is just like everything makes sense. And I said, Eddie, God made you special. Eddie, do you see what's happening in your life? Do you see what God is doing in your life? He is taking the broken pieces of the most precious trinkets in your life and he is putting them together. The brokenness that you have into something so beautiful. It's exactly what you do when you do your artwork. God is doing the same thing in your life. Eddie, can I tell you how much hope that you've given me today? By your faith and by your life and what you do, you're special and you are under construction You have given me hope again. We ended our conversation. I stood up, hugged the man. He gave me this big Italian-style hug and kiss, and and tears are just streaming down his face, face. He embraced me and said, I've made a new friend. I said, God put us together for this Saturday. Thank you, Jesus. He left. I was just still in awe of the day. I found a payphone. Remember payphones? <laughs> I called my wife. I said, you just would not believe what just happened to me. And her first response was, I've been praying for you that God would use you today. Thanks, honey. The sixth principle has to do with God interrupting our lives. When he does that for his good purposes, that we are to get off ourselves or myself and seek a godly view and be available to minister to the needs of others. Philippians 2, 3 through 5. 
The next day I woke up thinking, what in the world just happened to me? I opened my Bible and I turned to Psalm 90. If I can find it. Psalm 90, verses 14 through 17. And it said this, O satisfy us in the morning with thy love, with thy loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad in all our days. Make us glad according to the days thou hast afflicted us and the years that we have seen trouble. Let thy work appear to thy servants and thy majesty to their children and let the favor of the Lord of God be upon us and do confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. I got a call from the realtor. You ought to come out and just check out that one house you didn't like. All right. When I drove out there and I stood at the house realizing how many flaws that this house had, I realized it was cheaper. It had a better landlord. I was closer to work. And we could attend the church where Laura and I found a week earlier. God's faithfulness through Eddie helped me that day because it took faith for me to spend time with a stranger, a complete stranger, that God used to encourage me and provide direction in my life. Stepping out in faith worked because life was unclear and I felt that God's detour through Eddie's house made everything clear to me. It was a huge message from God. The seventh principle meaning when God interrupts our lives, true fulfillment in life comes from God's love. And let the favor of the Lord confirm your work. Decided to rent 43 Ammerman Lane. I just want to ask a couple questions to you. Is God interrupting your life today? Are you putting your life on pause? You have to make a tough decision? Consider these principles that may give you a clear view of God's faithfulness. Claiming Psalm 37.3 was the best verse I could have ever claimed. It has stayed with me to this day. And the blessings of that decision are this. This was the church and this was the house that Rachel and Christine were baptized. Huntington Christian Church is where they were baptized. God put us right in the middle of a Jewish neighborhood. Oy vey. And I can still hear Christine sharing the gospel with a Jewish young boy, trying to convince him that God did have a son. We had the opportunity to develop relationships with probably 15 kids on that street. It was a great place for youth ministry helping broken and confused kids. We're able to help and support an Egyptian family next door where she lost her husband 
and help encourage a son who was mentally disabled. And we're able to minister the two children that were going through an extremely severe divorce. God put us there in that house. It's a beautiful thing, Eddie. It's a beautiful thing. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the stories in our lives. Sometimes we just miss them because we're too busy or we're too comfortable and we just think that this interruption in life is just out of circumstance. But you are sovereign and you are under control and you cause all things to work together for good. Everything. The decisions we make, the paths we follow, the people we meet. Lord, help us to be led by the Spirit. Truly led by the Spirit, not the flesh. For the life lived out in the Spirit is life in peace. It's not hostile towards you. Lord, increase our faith, knowing that faith does work when we trust in your faithfulness. You are true to your promises. You are true to your character. Let us turn to you when you, for your good purposes, interrupt our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.